Hello and welcome to the Disruptors Podcast. On the show today, we have the infamous, controversial, cancelled scientist, Robert Malone. Disclaimer, we don't support or condone anything said by Robert Malone in this podcast or anything he might have said in previous podcasts on other shows. We just want to have an open and honest discussion and debate with someone deemed to be one of the most controversial, disruptive people in his industry. Please bear that in mind, do your own research. So Rob and Robert have some pretty out there conversations, starting from who controls the world and the conversation just goes down that rabbit hole. So let's just get straight into this. But remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Robert, who controls the world? Ha, um, I've been trying to figure that out myself lately. I don't know why, but uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, publications and information and speculation coming about that. I, you know, I think that we're in a increasingly a multipolar world, and uh, a case has been made by many that uh, it's a collection of about 250 different companies that uh, are functionally in control. And on top of them are some major investment funds. Of course, we are familiar BlackRock's uh, State Street, um, Vanguard, and Bank of America. Uh, but are they really in control or is it the Bank of International Settlements? Uh, I, I think that this is an important question. And of course, now we're in this kind of multipolar fragmentation environment where we have the financial consortium that uh, seems to have been catalyzed by the Russian government in some ways in response to the uh, sanctions and uh, that is increasingly allied with uh, India, China, and uh, perhaps Turkey and a number of other nations in creating a kind of a parallel currency structure. And then, then there's the argument to be made that, well, oil is king uh, and uh, oil bucks are king. I, I think that right now, personally, my sense is that we're in a period of transition where Pax Americana is passing and, uh, and we certainly have the rise of the CCP and their various interests. Uh, and, um, and we have uh, the, this uh, transnational organization that I think is a, basically a trade organization of the thousand largest companies uh, that we call the World Economic Forum that is, uh, seems to style itself as a world government and uh, has... Um, is is functionally creating its own treaties with entities like the United Nations and the World Health Organization. And do you think that that structure is for the good of humanity? Um, I think that uh, the demonstration of the last three years uh, shows many of us that um, not only is that organization not qualified but it is grounded that that structure and and I assume now you're you've transitioned to speaking of the world economic forum I shouldn't uh make assumptions you you mean the structure of this kind of fragmented multipolar environment or what please clarify yeah the 
how you presented the sh the way that the world is controlled, that structure, however it's been created, is that for the benefit of humankind and the people? No, I, th I think that it's for the benefit of um, a s relatively small number of individuals who seek uh, power, control, um, capital, um, hegemony. Uh, it's almost as if we passed into a time when instead of, with the possible exception of the, well, really even the CCP, the CCP isn't China. Um, we have a collection of, of hyper-powerful kind of transnational interests that seem to be seeking to dominate and control for their own interests. And um, it seems like uh, humanity in general is uh, given short shrift. And, and we have these uh, discussions and thought leaders such as Harari um, that uh, advocate uh, this logic of another industrial revolution in which one sees the fusion of man and machine and this isn't this isn't crazy talk. This is the, well, maybe it is crazy talk, but it's it's not a conspiracy theory. Uh, this is documented. Um, Sapiens is one book, uh, um, and uh, and these people seem to envision uh, something that looks an awful lot like a dark dystopia out of out of uh, um, the Rachowski's imagination or something. Uh, you know. Um, it's some some cross of uh, Terminator and the Matrix, uh, in which we we have uh, and and I think the other one I need to do a shout out with is Bruce Sterling and uh, the cyberpunk genre that have envisioned this world of uh, um, mechs uh, and shapers, which is kind of the the universe that that seems to be foreseen by. Uh, the German, uh, British, and American military industrial complex in which we have uh, implantables uh, routinely employed and uh, a combination of, of um, uh, biomechanical modifications of humans and, and uh, directed evolution or, or genetic modification as as one vision for the future of humanity, it is, it is uh, um, uh, profoundly uh, egotistic. Uh, it's, the hubris is um, uh, almost overwhelming, uh, but that, that does seem to be the logic. And it's, it's a strange, having delved into this, the documentation from the German military, the UK military, the US military, uh, particularly DARPA in this area of transhumanism, uh, it, it seems that the logic is put forward that um, our opponents are already doing it. And the inference is that this is the Chinese Communist Party and, and People's Republic of China um, have no ethical boundaries in, in performing this type of developmental work with human subjects. And uh, therefore, we must do it. It's kind of the same logic as mutually assured destruction and thermonuclear weapons. Uh, they're doing it. Therefore, we have to do it. Of course, then that provokes 
their belief that they have to do it. And we get into a circular uh, um, escalation of, uh, of this kind of technology um, in which uh, breaching well-established uh, biomedical ethical boundaries is just considered kind of a casualty of real politic and war. Have I answered your question? Yes, thank you. Um, I'd like to come to the convergence of man and machine and AI in a moment, but um, what would be a better, more utopic, not dystopic world order? I think that, so we're, I think we have a number of major axes going on here that in order to answer your question, we need to kind of set the stage or at least give some framework to be able to start to shape our, our imagined uh, world, our intellectual world, our, our own ability to process what's coming at us or being forced on us. In, in my mind, we're, we're increasingly, these, the logic of a lower upper middle class structure is obsolete. And that we're increasingly in a world of physicals, virtuals, and overlords. Uh, and this, this is a, a logic and a language that's just starting to enter the mainstream right now. Physicals being people that work with their hands and actually do stuff and truckers and physicians. Um, uh, and virtuals being those, uh, the laptop class is the slang those that live in a world uh, typically urban in which, uh, and by the way, journalists are considered part of that, and uh, in, in which uh, it's all virtual information and there's no real connection with the actual world. As a matter of fact, a lot of these people seek to become increasingly isolated from what they perceive as a threatening real world. And then on top of that, we have uh, this very, very small cast of uber-wealthy uh, that seem to be um, controlling everything and, I, and increasingly trying to make the physicals obsolete through mechanization and this uh, new industrial revolution in which uh, it's believed there will be massive surplus labor, uh, excess labor, um, you know, these various words like useless eaters, uh, um, that is, is not really needed because of the automation and the effects of uh, machine learning and deep learning. Um, and I think what the laptop uh, virtual class doesn't recognize is that uh, um, those folks at the top, which I referred to as the overlords, they're just as soon glad to deal to get rid of the the uh, virtuals. Also, <laughs> some other virtuals seem to think they're protected, but uh, they're going to be easily disposed of uh, when the time comes. They're just kind of a useful tool in the interim. So I think we have to think about um, what what is the nature of of the world going forward now. And another key axis in this is the belief system that really goes back to the forties or before um, uh, UN charter is very much grounded in it. Uh, the world health organization charter is grounded in it, which is the belief that it's necessary in order to solve the world's problems that we migrate to a, uh, 
um, a global government and that the idea of the independent nation state is obsolete and it's a barrier to solving the world's problems. That's kind of that package. And of course, uh, that's, that's a core thesis in the, um, what has been pitched as global warming, but increasingly the fallback position is climate change uh, because the data aren't looking so good in terms of being able to justify it as global warming. Um, whether that's the effects of the volcano in the Southern Hemisphere or whatever, but the data are not coming in the way they're supposed to. Uh, so, um, so this logic is that uh, we need to migrate to uh, an increasingly virtual uh, world of uh, robotics, um, minimizing labor, and uh, um, centralizing uh, um, authority, power, political structures under a logic that is really quite old, a philosophical framework, that being really, to be blunt, utilitarian Marxism, um, and the idea of a command economy, the idea that uh, a small number of entities uh, globally can uh, effectively control the world through a command economy structure. And they seem to advocate and this is this is what's of course we've heard uh, you will own nothing and be happy, and no one ever really explains what's behind that statement, um, and it's just thrown out as a kind of a a buzzword or or a, you know rallying cry. There's actually a, a a business logic behind it. It's a business model. You will own nothing and be happy, and. Um, one of the slangs that's used in the investment community is rent sinking behavior. Uh, this is the logic that resources would be more effectively managed globally in a densely populated world. If only everything, all resources were controlled by a small number of people, a small number of companies, and they could be allocated out appropriately for the greatest efficiency and kind of a rent based model. So this is akin to, and this is no surprise because a lot of the people advocating this stuff have roots in the software industry. Um, and so just like when you get your Adobe package products, um, if you use Adobe products for uh, your video editing or whatever, or you get your Microsoft products, you no longer buy those applications, you rent them. And, and so if you understand how, you know, most of us have had to get Microsoft Word or whatever, and we're familiar with that kind of rent-based model, um, that's, that's the vision for the entire world, that all resources should be managed in that way. So uh, to, to touch on a topic, um, you wouldn't own your Tesla. You would rent your Tesla or lease your Tesla. Or, you know, for instance, if you're a Porsche aficionado right now, you can do a deal uh, with Porsche to... Uh, allow you pay a premium, but uh, you can go pick up whatever Porsche you want and drive it for a while and then turn it back in and get another one. That's, that's the kind of business model that is behind this statement. Um, uh, you will own nothing and be happy. And, uh, and, but it's all, it's grounded in a belief system that um, we need to have a smaller population. Uh, we cannot, uh, 
overcome the obstacles that we face globally in terms of resources, this is Malthusianism, right? That the idea that there's limited resources and uh, people, um, we cannot innovate our way out of our box. Um, we have no other um, we have no other pathway other than to uh, reduce the global population. And this, of course, feeds into that other main meme that is so intimidating and frightening, uh, which is uh, global population reduction, um, which we hear so much about. And, and there's all this jibber-jabber that uh, the vaccines are intended as a depopulation weapon. I'm, I'm not there, uh, despite... Uh, um, my having been blackpilled in so many other ways, but what what is your thoughts on the intention of the vaccine? So I've spoken about that lately um, in a couple of lectures. Uh, one I gave in Florida uh, about a week and a half ago, and another one I gave in Richmond, Virginia, and and I have those on my Substack, so folks can listen to the long version. Um. And of course, this plays into the meme that I'm controlled opposition and I'm just uh, making excuses for the global predators and the CIA, et cetera. So I'm just acknowledging that some of my detractors will say that. Uh, um, be that as it may, there, I can't say what's going on in Tony Fauci's head, just to use one example, or Klaus Schwab's, God knows, I have no idea what goes on in his head. I think it's whatever Henry Kissinger puts into his head. Um, I think that's a little bit of an empty bag that gets filled periodically. But um, uh, I, I can't, I don't know what goes on in people's heads. I can't, I'm not a mind reader. Um, and I I, in the book that we're just about to publish, it's in the very last copy editing, um, we kind of walk through a lot of different hypotheses. Um, and, I, and I really think that what we're dealing with is a multifactorial condition in which we have some, uh, we absolutely have some nefarious actors that have exploited uh, what has occurred here. And this includes uh, um various players involved in the global financial system. Uh, and, and uh, you know, there's a thesis that they are the ones behind this and triggered all this. This is Ernst Wolf uh, in particular likes to forward this. And I'm not in any way casting shade on Ernst Wolf. I think his work has been bloody brilliant. Um, uh, but, um, and I'm, I just have learned so much from what he's put out that's been translated into English from the native German. But uh, um, I'm increasingly convinced the data are coming in, the information is coming in that um, the Wuhan Institute of Virology was undercapitalized, um, running on fumes, under pressure, this is no excuse, um, didn't have adequate safety protocols, and uh, was uh, messing about with things they should never have been messing about with. And that's the gain of function research and, and absolutely uh, EcoHealth Alliance and those characters were busy involved in technology transfer. And there's no question that Defense Threat Reduction Agency, I've heard this directly first person, 
U.S. DITRA has been and continues to be funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, we have the documentation that NIAD has that'll come out in hearings if the election, if the election flips. Um, uh, but it looks like uh, that's the smoking gun. This is an engineered uh, pathogen. I wouldn't call it a bioweapon, but it could well be. Um, there's, there's the Chinese Communist Party uh, history of uh, development of bioweapons goes back to when they assimilated part of the Japanese uh, bioweapon program uh, that was so successful in World War II. Of course, the other major part of that Japanese program got imported lock, stock, and barrel uh, to Frederick, Maryland, and other nefarious places in the U.S. as USAMRID and as kind of the launching point for the U.S. biowarfare capabilities. So I'm not in any way saying that uh, the Chinese are the only bad actors here, but their, their weapons program, bioweapons program, absolutely does have roots in the nefarious uh, Japanese biowarfare uh, uh, program. And by the way, Bobby Kennedy's new book um, delves into this deeply where he looks at the origin of the virus and the Wuhan lab and the cover-up. So it seems to have leaked out um, sometime fallish 2019, um, maybe a little earlier than September uh, probably through um, some breach of, of uh, containment protocol. I'm not convinced that this that the CCP intentionally released this into the beating heart of their industrial uh, sector. That just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, uh, I am increasingly compelled that once it was out, uh, the CCP exploited that. And they actively pumped propaganda into uh, the White House um, uh, through a variety of channels that are now increasingly being revealed. Um, I'm uh, not. I'm. I'm increasingly uh, of the belief that uh, my former colleague uh, Michael Callahan, CIA agent, uh, MD from Harvard, that was in the area. Um, early in 2020, if not late 2019, um, was uh, subjected to Chinese uh, propaganda. They knew who he was. They knew what his background was. And um, I can't imagine that the information that he encountered was not uh, carefully crafted, even though he wasn't aware that that and didn't believe that to be the case. He brought back a to the United States a sense of um, crisis and, um, um, you know, and uh, alarmism uh, that played a key role in um, advancing a lot of the uh, mistakes that happened here. And then we also have Mr. Michael Pottinger, who had deep roots um, in China um, and appears to have also had intelligence roots through his time with Michael Flynn. Uh, he's a China hand. So, so we, we, I, I think there's, you know, the, the evidence is coming out that the dying on the street and the rapid manufacturing of the hospital complex and, and the, all that stuff was propaganda still being sorted out who pushed it. 
was it actually the CCP or was it enemies of the CCP? That's that's still pretty cloudy. So there's there's that agenda. The, the CCP seems to have played a role, whether it was intentional or or reactionary, exploitative, in um, fostering a group of policies that caused the West to um, uh, destroy their own economies. It was a masterwork. If, if that is what they did, um, it is one of the great successes in um, many people point to Sun Tzu, the application of Sun Tzu's logic um, in asymmetrical warfare. Uh, and um, there's no question that the policies, which are very much the China model, uh, were deployed in throughout the West. Um, and uh, ex caused uh, enormous harm. But then there's also such clear evidence that the um, central banks of the world, including the Federal Reserve, which you know many people don't appreciate are privately owned, they are not national, um, they were facing a monetary crisis akin to 0708, um, in 2019, and they had a liquidity issue, and uh, the events that transpired allowed them to inject massive amounts of capital. And we never hear the words anymore. You remember, it was just a few months ago, the cool hip thing was modern, modern monetary theory, MMT. Um, you, can, you can rack up uh, as much debt as you want. Uh, it's not gonna have any impact. And then suddenly the bills come due, and uh, uh, Rishi, I guess, is now the bag holder there in the UK. <laughs> we'll see how that goes for him. Uh, but uh, I'm afraid that it's your colleagues and yourself that are going to really pay the price and the German people um, uh, and Europe in general uh, for these policies. And then, then we have uh, King George III, uh, who was the original person that announced the Great Reset, uh, another important fact to know. It was not Klaus Schwab. Uh, Klaus Schwab was actually playing second fiddle to what is now King George um, in initiating that. So that the Great Reset agenda, which has a strong financial component, seems to also have been um, brought to bear into this uh, largely manufactured crisis, it now appears, um, involving a gross overestimate of the risk of the virus. And we can again thank uh, the United Kingdom's uh, researchers uh, for a lot of that uh, gross overstatement of risk. Um, I think it's Imperial College gets the uh, gold star for that little bit of propaganda. Um, uh, and uh, so... Um, you know, now, now we're on the threshold of, uh, the bank of international settlements has, uh, test fired, um, central bank digital currency, uh, which they want to couple with, uh, digital IDs for everyone. That was everyone's concern that the vaccine passports were just a kind of a sneaky point of entry to a digital ID. Uh, I, you know, I, I, again, I, I don't have any direct data. It's just, uh, circumstantial, but it's very convenient. Um, so I, I, you know, 
who's who's benefiting from this? What's behind it? What are the agendas? I'm I'm in the uh, a, a whole lot of people made a whole lot of money on this uh, and advanced uh, their political and and other uh, power based objectives. Not the least of which is our good friend Mr. Gates, um, who every time I turn around as I've run down these various rabbit holes trying to understand things like what's happened to journalism and advocacy journalism, um, there I find the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation looking at me um, through the glass. Uh, so, um, and, and Mr. Gates seems quite proud of his uh, prescient uh, investments in vaccines, etc., which curiously seem to uh, have... Um, benefited from uh, access to information uh, through various planning sessions that he's helped capitalize together with the World Economic Forum, uh, such as Event 201, um, which I think his capitalization of these planning scenarios is absolutely not benign. Um, I think at a, at a minimum, it has the appearance that he is... Uh, using his capital in his status uh, and the guise of his nonprofit philanthropy to uh, develop, develop intelligence uh, that he then employs in his other business activities. What are those other business activities? What other business activities? Um, that uh, his he has a variety of funds that invest in vaccines and uh, you know green energy and uh, farming and uh, meat alternatives and it just kind of goes on and on and on. It, but it seems to circle largely around um, you know he, he he clearly the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has made investments relating to birth control in the interface of vaccines and birth control in India and Africa. Um, he, I'm not sure what Mr. Gates's uh, vision is, uh, but, but it, it uh, seems to always uh, result in um, some form of a monopoly or other and uh, considerable profit and uh a, a reshaping of the world in ways that a lot of us would really rather not see. And you asked the question, I still haven't answered. Um, what's the alternative? Where, what's, what's the way forward? I think personally, I'm, I'm increasingly a fan of decentralization. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I think we've, we've had enough experimentation with command economies uh, and uh, that never seems to turn out very well. And uh, the, the logic now seems to be that, well, the problem with utilitarianism and command economies has been that we just didn't have enough data uh, and enough tools to process all that data. And now we've got these cool new things uh, like machine learning and deep learning, artificial intelligence, et cetera, that... Uh, um, now, if we just had enough data from everybody in the world, we could run that into our massive, uh, you know, metaphorical spreadsheet and uh, really figure out how to, how to make the world hum uh, on rails. And uh, 
I'm, I'm not there. I'm, uh, what we've seen over the last three years has just been a chronic, uh, uh, bungling, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the banishment of this affair has demonstrated a profound level of incompetence. And, and what, what blows my mind is that the world health organization, the CDC, and a lot of these other actors that have been involved in this seem to think that this provides CEPI is another example, seems to think that the, the record of the last three years justifies that they should get more money and more power. I, that, that doesn't work in my, uh, uh, deep learning algorithms, uh, but maybe it does in theirs. Um, but, uh, I think that, uh, I believe that we should stop defining humanity using the language of economics. I think we should stop defining human beings as economic entities, as numbers on a spreadsheet. I think we are so much more than that. And uh, I think we need to, have you noticed uh, the death of the arts? Um, you know, who cares about the arts anymore? Uh, you know, it's all about uh, how rich are you? How much money can you make? Your jet, your boat, uh, how fancy your car is, um, you know, what you got in the bank, how much power you have. What happened to the arts? What happened to um, community what happened to spiritualism? What happened to commitment to our children, to commitment to education, commitment to future generations? Um, you know, all this talk about green living and the green world, um, but I don't see much evidence of that. I see a whole, whole lot of talk and exploitation of things like nitrogen loads in Dutch farmers as ways to justify um, other agendas, uh, and I personally, um, uh, I, th I, I think that, uh, the folks that have been advancing these agendas have been doing so for so long and they've amassed such massive amounts of capital that, um, they are going to have their way with us to some extent. And, uh, the question is, what can we do about it? And I think it's kind of time to hole up. And, uh, you know, the, suddenly the preppers don't look so so crazy. <laughs> um, and uh, um, I, th I think that uh, building uh, skills for self-sufficiency um, and, and absolutely committing to community um, and uh, in working through what does that mean, what, what I've seen, because I've been traveling a fair amount, including internationally, is the rise of uh, communities, uh, special interest communities, resistance communities uh, um, that are existing within the structure of the, the established political um, uh, economic umbrella and you know what when i in in ireland um in the uk in italy in france um and now to some extent um in uh, austria uh and then of course in in africa 
they kind of don't care about the Westerners anyway. They they live their own lives and they're busy um, doing deals with the uh, Silk Road business um, with China. Um, bless their hearts. Uh, so I, I just I think that for those of us that value freedom, and Matthias Desmet teaches that's probably only about ten percent of the population. The rest want to be told what to do. Unfortunately, um, for those that care about personal freedom, liberty, sovereignty, uh, it's kind of time to uh, think global, but act local. When you Google your name, Robert, um, Google doesn't, (laughs) (laughs) I could just pause there. (laughs) Please, please. Please don't use Google. Um, There's so many better search engines. The Google, I'm, I am toxic. Um, I'm toxic on Facebook. My name alone. Right. So why are you toxic on Google and Facebook? Well, uh, I would refer you to Silicon Valley uh, to answer that question. Um, Google seems to have really gotten bent out of shape. When I said these four words on Joe Rogan, uh, you'll recall December 31st of last year, uh, mass formation psychosis, or I guess it's three words, mass formation psychosis. Um, So uh, what that triggered was uh, folks looking into what has been done to so many of us in terms of information manipulation and thought control. And, in the role of uh, both corporate media and um, tech in facilitating that um, in collusion with uh, larger corporations um, uh, as well as the governments, Western governments, the Five Eyes Alliance. Um, And so, uh, you know, I I think it's been... uh, I think a case can be made that, that I, and well, let me just say, uh, there was a paper just out yesterday published in the journal called Minerva, uh, in which some Israeli and American um, social scientists, et cetera, uh, did a series of surveys of physicians and medical scientists that have been subjected to the same uh, processes that I have, in some cases even more severely, in some cases less uh, and they've all had similar experiences, and it has followed a pattern that's well established uh, for quenching dissent. Um, it's a pattern that is uh, of affirmation, censorship, uh, et cetera, that they document quite well, um, that has been documented in prior academic publications over many years and seems to have been deployed systematically here. And... Uh, um, So I guess it might be that in part, because I was out front on a lot of things, um, I got hit earliest and hardest. Uh, So that's one just, I'm not, I'm not whining um, uh, or complaining. I'm not saying that it's not fair. None of this is fair. Uh, But um, uh, certainly uh, the aggressive editing of, of my, Wikipedia page uh, by 
uh, a pseudonym sock puppet that seems to be closely affiliated with British intelligence and has remarkable 24-hour productivity um, and has edited uh, the, similarly the Wikipedia pages of, of many uh, in the medical freedom movement and anybody that speaks in favor of uh, things like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin or early treatment or alternatives, et cetera, um, all seem to have had the benefit of the same heavy hand in uh, either writing them out of history, destroying um, their reputations or whatever in Wikipedia. So there seems to be a strong intelligence community component to this. Uh, and, um, uh, in coordination with these large corporate entities, uh, in cooperation with uh, um, uh, entities in the U.S. government. But what's been fascinating to me as I travel is that what I've observed in the United States is happening in parallel to colleagues in um, all over the world, uh, Latin America, um, Italy, uh, the UK, um, France, um, Dieter Raut, uh, has, has had his uh, career destroyed. I met him, uh, in Marseille in his office, uh, interesting gentleman. Uh, but, uh, whatever his faults are, he didn't deserve what was done. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, I, I think that, um, those that are, that are, um, out front, um, often take, uh, the hits, um, in the more obvious way. I mean, we, we, my wife wrote this book, how to prepare for the novel coronavirus, uh, between, uh, the phone call we got from Callahan on January 4th of 2020 and published it in the first week in February, uh, well-referenced, you know, she's a PhD and, biotechnology and public policy. I'm an MD and an MS in whatever I do, um, nucleic acids and vaccines and that kind of stuff. And, and um, so it was a well-written, you know, 100-plus page uh, written for our neighbors, you know, here in central Virginia, rural Virginia, you know, just average people. What can you do? Um, talked about things like using alcohol wipes on airplanes, stuff that's become commonplace. And it was censored by Amazon taken down in March uh, with no appeal, uh, no explanation other than it violated the community standards, something that was unprecedented at the time. This is March of 2020. Um, so we've kind of been out front all the way through and taken the hits uh, as a consequence, um, just trying to help people, uh, which has been one of the things that has been uh, particularly um, troublesome is, is to be doing your best, sacrificing everything, working your can off, trying to save people's lives and, and help them understand, and then have these coordinated attacks come at you. Uh, and, and, uh, both from both sides. I mean, from the far right, I get attacked as controlled opposition now lately, although that seems to have died down. Um, with all kinds of scurrilous claims that two different versions of why I'm a mass murderer have been floated. Um, uh, so that's no fun. Uh, but 
the, the accommodation I have to make is none of this is fair. None of this is right. None of this is proper. It is complete, asymmetric, unrestricted information warfare. And early on, I figured out that this was the case, which is why I started podcasting. Um, I just uh, said, okay, uh, the media is going to do what the media does. Um, and, uh, and if I just speak my truth and um, speak from the heart and uh, accept podcasts, uh, talk to whoever wants to talk to me. Um, and at first I, I burned through podcasts uh, that were a little uh, unusual each each podcast kind of represents a different community, and <clears throat> there's a lot of different communities in the world <laughs> with a lot of different points of view. Uh, and I've I've uh, um, had opportunities to interact with many of them uh, over the last three years, which I guess is a great thing. Um, how wonderful to have that opportunity. Um, well, but Robert, uh, it's interesting here at this point when you say you're in favor of a more decentralized world at the top level, but podcasting in a way is a decentralization of media, which maybe can break up the media control. Would you agree with that? Uh, I, I, it, it is uh, central to what I'm doing. Um, I'm sitting in my new studio uh, with a three camera rig. I don't have the camera set up yet. Um, and obviously I still have to adjust the lighting a little bit more cause I'm blown out. Um, uh, earlier it was good, but now it's a little excessive. Uh, but, um, I, I do think that, um, uh, alternative media is revolutionary. This is about information. It is about information control. People, you know, I've had folks like my friend, Stephen Bannon, um, uh, likes to reprimand me and tell me to stay in my lane, quote unquote. I hope I'm not telling stories. Uh, um, I was just on with him earlier today. I think the world of him, I've learned so much from him about media war and so many other things. Uh, but what people don't understand is, uh, yeah, I did what I did when I was 28 years old, but I've done a lot since then. And I've done a lot of work uh, writing proposals and contracts. I'm quite good at it. And this includes uh, proposals to the federal government for companies that have been very involved at the forefront of uh, social media, uh, including companies that do things that, um, that I was talking, you know, I've, I've been uh, granted classification with DOD and I have seen things and know of things that go on. Um, there's, for instance, it came out the other day, one investigative group was speculating that Twitter was actually battle tested during Arab Spring. Um, that is a true statement, absolutely. Um, and that may have something to do with why the uh, Gulf money helped capitalize in a significant way Elon Musk's purchase, I speculate. Uh, but, um, I'm, I'm quite familiar with, uh, 
many aspects of uh, the capabilities of modern social media. And as I said in that essay, Twitter is a weapon. It's not a business. Um, uh, people are very naive about their use of social media. But um, alt media like this, what we're doing right now, um, I, I saw, was it Pointer Institute? So one of these organizations that does forecasting for um, corporate media I put out a report at the end of last year that I found fascinating. Um, and they, they bemoan the fact that uh, mainstream corporate media is dying. Uh, and, and I think a case can be made that the trusted news initiative managed by the BBC is really kind of also a trade organization that is structured to um, try to um, hold the bulwarks uh, for corporate media and to resist the advance of alternative media and the disruption of alternative media. Um, I think that, that it is, uh, it's another one of these cases where they, they cover their true purpose and intention with uh, words about um, freedom and democracy and, and uh, you know, and apple pie and motherhood. Uh, but in fact, uh, they're just another trade organization trying to support their their customers. And in this in this big uh, analysis of what's going on in media that um, came out at the end of last year, they specifically flagged uh, the podcast, and in particular, they emphasized. I guess this must have come out about February. They emphasized Joe Rogan. And uh, mentioned that Joe Rogan had had various nefarious actors on, such as myself, um, uh, but that uh, they still had to acknowledge his profound uh, disrupting um, effect uh, that was really um, uh, represented a major threat to their market space. I mean, 11 million, uh, you know, and Joe didn't just get, it didn't like he flew through a switch and had 11 million followers. You know, he built this, he built this darn thing over years and years and years of just being honest and straightforward in himself and being genuine uh, with people. Um, and, uh, and now he, you know, with every podcast, uh, he blows the likes of CNN right out of the water. I mean, just to, to put a pin on it, um, in my own modest way with our Substack, uh, we now reach routinely, day after day after day, between 400,000 and 750,000 people opening. That's not just delivered. We have a subscriber base of about 220,000 now, of which only a small fraction are paying because we give it out for free because it's about the information. And people, for some reason, voluntarily are willing to pay a subscription price, in part because otherwise they can't get in the chat uh, underneath, and uh, which keeps the trolls out. Um, so there's an upside to that. But, but these are... These are numbers, even in my little world, um, where I'm equaling or surpassing primetime broadcast at CNN. Um, and uh, that's just, you know, a physician scientist broadcasting from uh, a horse farm in uh, Virginia. 
uh, without, you know, I'm, I don't have any, uh, Spotify didn't drop $11 million on my head. Um, dear Spotify, <laughs> give me a call. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a brave new world, isn't it? Huh? And, and the truth. So uh, uh, let me say, uh, I, this young man, Cameron Wallace, who's the producer, uh, uh, for, uh, Steve Bannon. And trust me, you don't want that job. Um, but, uh, Cameron in one of our first broadcasts together, where I was actually in Steve's studio in his home, um, which by the way, looks like a scene out of animal house most of the time. Uh, and a big step up was when they got a maid to clean the toilet. Uh, but um, I was hanging out with Cameron in the kitchen, having a coffee before we were going to do the hit. And he, and he talked about pirate radio. Um, and uh, it just hit me, you know, bang in the head like a brick. That's kind of what we're doing. It's the early days of rock and roll. It's not going to last. They're going to find some way to control us. But, but in the meantime, we're having a good time, aren't we? Well, I call this show Disruptors, Robert, um, because I think that mainstream media needs disrupting. I do agree with you that I think some things have become a bit too centralised and global and they need breaking up to have a more fair free market, if you like, less monopoly, more competition, um, yep. I'd like to move the conversation on a bit, if you don't mind. There's a couple of things I want to come back to. AI, central digital currency, population control. They were referenced, but I wanted to let you speak. I'd like to come back to those. But before I do, I'd like to ask you a question. In your professional opinion, is depression real? And is medication the right course of action to cure depression if it's real? Depression is absolutely real. Um, it's multifactorial. It can be organic. Um, uh, people experience depression after traumatic brain injury. They experience uh, depression from a lot of different causes, and some of those can just be innately organic. Um, is depression a, a, uh, um, a biochemical sickness. Um, that's where uh, the pharmaceutical industry wants us to go. Um, and uh, I think that that's very self-serving. I think the people that advance that thesis of mental health in general as um, uh, a biochemical imbalance as a master kind of global model for mental illness often have a vested interest in promoting that model. Um, I think that uh, depression is too broad of a category to speak about it in a global sense. Is it a thing? I think it's, um, I'm a, I, I'm always torn. Am I a splitter or a lumper? Uh, in the case of depression, I think I'm a splitter. I, I think it's there's a lot of things going on there. Um, sorrow and grief is, which can be interpreted as depression, are normal human uh, psychological responses to certain types of stress. 
And two, those that don't experience those things are typically psychopaths. Um, you know, it, it is a fundamental um, part of human bonding uh, to um, experience loss and grief. Uh, and those that don't, I think, are, are, um, are dangerous in various ways because they um, are able to not be not have empathy um, uh, are they're disconnected from the rest of their human um, and, and animal uh, they're disconnected from the world um, uh, so is is chemical modification I, I don't want to go all the way to say that um, we should not uh, provide there should not be any pharmaceutical interventions available or, or other uh, bioelectrical modifications. But um, many people experience uh, relief from depression uh, without having to resort to chemicals. Um, and uh, um, I suspect, uh, I don't know the data, I haven't seen the randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial, but uh, um, a little bit of love goes a long way. Um, and, and the same is true with empathy uh, in combating um, depression in our world. Has I answered your question? Yes, thank you. There seems to be some moral conflicts with maybe big corporations that might have the profit motive more than the human motive. Um, the quandary of the pharmaceutical industry where you couldn't say for sure that we sh there should be no uh, medication support, but there's a self-serving interest without blowing any whistles or pointing any figures. There is clearly a self-serving interest if well, let's, let's call a spade a spade. Um, the pharmaceutical industry has shown uh, a widespread disregard for uh, ethics, um, for uh, willingness to live within the guardrails of government uh, laws. They constantly seek ways to manipulate. Uh, it, is, it is a fundamental aspect of the pharmaceutical industry culture. Um, it is it is one of the most uh, aggressive uh, industrial sectors on the planet, and it preys on humans. Uh, it preys on it. It is it is um, intrinsically um, uh, built on. Um, a thesis of treating human disease and it requires human disease to be treated in order to make profit. And, and having been in it in the belly of the beast, uh, um, there, there is the, the logic, for instance, just one example, um, as one proceeds with clinical and non-clinical research for a pharmaceutical product seeking licensure, the uh, anybody in 
uh, the industry worth their salt knows that the axiom is you never do a study unless the regulatory agency forces you to do so because you might discover something that would create some obstacle to getting licensure and making profit. Um, it is the pharmaceutical industry is predatory, uh, has been for a very long time. Um, and a case can be made that it's uh, been the case since Rockefeller um, came in uh, seeking some way to uh, further monetize uh, oil products um, in chemistry, organic chemistry, and uh, uh, basically destroyed um, uh, the medical system and medical education system that had existed in the West, certainly in the United States, and supplanted it with another one that was based on the use of uh, um, organic chemical-based uh, pharmaceuticals. Uh, and, and it's, it's, this, this is a, this is an industry that, uh, knows no moral bounds. It's, it's about, I mean, it's not that everybody is like that. Um, uh, um, but, but those that rise, uh, um, are typically, uh, very, very focused on return on investment, uh, for their um, uh, major uh, stockholders. And that, that uh, profit incentive seems to um, supersede uh, anything else. Um, and, and, you know, they can talk until the cows come home about uh, ESG scores, uh, but um, uh, the proof of the pudding is in the eating is it's in their behaviors. Um, it's in their fines. Uh, it's in their uh, avoidance of accountability on the adverse events of marketed products. And, and the whole world has seen this. If they weren't aware of it before, um, we've now lived through three years of a demonstration of that. Over. When you say we've lived for three years in a demonstration of that, do you mean the COVID vaccines? Correct. And not just the vaccines, but the um, obfuscation, obstruction of uh, um, use of uh, off-patent medicines um, to treat patients. Uh, I mean, physicians all over the world have demonstrated that early treatment saves lives, and yet it has been denigrated and um, obstructed in a systematic way um, all the way through this. And I've, you know, uh, by... We even had Merck um, ridiculing the safety of ivermectin. Come on, guys. Um, the, the database on ivermectin is massive, and it is incredibly safe. Uh, you, can, you can argue about whether or not it's effective. And I, my personal experience um, directly, as well as uh, my observed experience and that of many of my colleagues, has been that it is effective in a variety of things, um, including uh, in early treatment for COVID-19. But um, you can't say that it's not safe. Uh, it's The data are just overwhelming. Uh, and hydroxychloroquine is really quite safe. You know, this is the 
what do they call it? Friday, Friday or Sunday, Sunday or something all the way through Africa. Everybody takes it once a week, has been for years. Um, it's incredibly safe. It's safe for use in pregnancy. It's one of the only drugs in that category that's safe for use in pregnancy. Um, it, it's uh, um, the evidence of uh, pharmaceutical industry uh, manipulation of this entire uh, response landscape is overwhelming. Let's do a quick fire round, Robert. There's so many more questions I want to ask, um, but you've probably got something to do this week and we could be here for a week. Um, so maybe you could answer these in 15 to 30 seconds. I'll try. It's not my usual style. Well, then it might be fun for you. <laughs> um, pe people tend to enjoy the quick fire rounds. This is, I think you'll, you'll be up. Up near, near. Shit away. All right, then. Great. Is Bill Gates a net positive for humanity? No. Why not? He's a monopolist. Um, I also am increased at, at minimum. He's a narcissist. Uh, is he a sociopath or a psychopath? I don't know. That's a better of genes. Is a centralized digital currency good for humanity? No. Why not? Um, uh, ESG scores and uh, direct control, um, it, it reduces the friction in retaliation as we saw with Justin Trudeau and his finance minister. Is there an economic depression coming? And if so, how long and how hard do you think it will be? Um, I hear from multiple sources and have uh, since summer that the European Union is uh, truly heading into a dark winter. Uh, that's a famous uh, statement. Um, uh, uh, I, I'm not an economist, um, but I do my best to listen to them. And uh, um, what I hear is we've got a major correction followed by a series of financial boundary events. For instance, the exhaustion of the uh, Social Security Fund in the United States. Um, and this uh, logic of modern, modern monetary theory that has led uh, many European states and states all over the world, including the United States, to inflate their debt indebtedness um, is going to result in a major correction. This is part of the logic for why it to advance central bank digital currency is there, there truly has to be some sort of a great reset because the debt levels are unsustainable. And um, we seem to have, uh, I hate to quote Karl Marx or reference Karl Marx, but um, a case can be made that we are moving towards that end point of, uh, of traditional capitalism that he had anticipated um, uh, where the contradictions of capitalism catch up with it. And, uh, you know, there's going to be, uh, we have to move through some series of major economic boundary events and many people think that one of them happens pretty much now. Does the population need controlling? 
That I think, um, so China, I think we can learn from China in this. Uh, China uh, absolutely tried to uh, impose uh, population control and depopulation agenda through controlling family size. And that caused all kinds of problems. And they are reverberating through time. And they apparently are looking at a abrupt decline in, in population coming up. Uh, in the next couple of decades or maybe a little beyond, but they've got another boundary event in terms of population. Point being that um, I think the population, my sense is that the planners always have a, a repeated need to think they have to intervene um, and that they are smarter than biology and human behavior and uh, they have to intervene. Otherwise, everything's going to go to hell uh, because we can't control ourselves. And I tend to fall on the side of humans. Uh, we may be a little slow, but we eventually figured out and um, that uh, the population crisis that's envisioned um, might well have not even come to this point if we hadn't had the kind of do-gooder intervention logic that developed during the 60s and 70s of feed the world, et cetera, and um, that resulted in unsustainable population growth in areas that didn't have adequate uh, um, uh, food supply uh, natively. And that, uh, you know, there's a saying that physicians talk about is that tincture in time will cure many things. Tincture of time. And, and I think that with population, uh, a little less intervention and a little more patient watching uh, is what this doctor orders. What's the biggest cover-up in your profession? Whew. Okay, I, I can't even answer that. that the, what's, you know, what has been revealed, I, I just know my little sector. I don't know about cardiology. I don't know about neuropsychiatry. I mean, what, what we have learned uh, over the last few decades is that there has been just huge cover-ups of uh, um, major scandals. Uh, I don't, I think that maybe what we're in the middle of certainly is world-class uh, and maybe unprecedented. The ability to deploy um, information control, propaganda, censorship, um, and uh, deploy a false narrative of safe and effective globally uh, in the heavy-handed way that it's been done um, is certainly got to be one of the greats uh, um, and uh, is profoundly humbling in terms of acknowledging the power of uh, available to the modern totalitarian state. If man and machine come together, where does that end? Uh, we have seen so many dystopian science fiction versions of that. I feel like it's redundant to even go there. Um, uh, you know, uh, the... And I and I I mentioned some of those at the start uh, with cyberpunk and Bruce Sterling and and uh, Shapers and Mechs and uh, Robo you know the um, RoboCop and and uh, 
Terminator and uh, and the Rachowski's uh, Dark Vision of the Matrix, uh, which seems to now have been so intensely prescient that uh, Red Pill and Blue Pill is uh, lingua franca worldwide now, I think. Um, uh, I did not think this goes well. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Musk is currently being portrayed as a great hero of free speech, but Mr. Monk is also, uh, the largest defense contractor in the United States, uh, has Starlink and Neuralink, um, coming up, uh, and, um, Twitter is, is a weapon. Uh, and, um, so, uh, I think that, uh, I fear for the future that our children will inherit. Um, I truly sincerely do. And, um, and I, I just want to give a shout out to the great UK artist commentator, Bob Moran, who somehow manages to capture a brilliant insight with his little strip on a, a daily or weekly basis. He just seems to have a way of penetrating into the underlying um, truth of things. Uh, but, but I do think that uh, the, the idea of, um, uh, I don't know who's pestering me now. The idea that uh, we can artificially, that we have sufficient knowledge of biology um, to uh, proceed uh, with um, blithely uh, in modifying human evolution um, genetically and mechanically is... Um, uh, the most profound hubris I can imagine. And why? Why do it? Um, you know, we're we're incredible organisms. Um, we're almost limitless. We have not even begun to explore um, the the wonder of our minds of and of of our collective minds. Why, why do we have to um, move into this bizarre vision of uh, biomechanical and neuromechanical and neurophysiologic, uh, um, you know, this is, this is like a Silicon Valley um, oligarch's wet dream, um, but uh, I, I don't see it. Is Elon Musk a net benefit to society? I think the, the jury's out on that one. Um, and of course, I need to acknowledge my conflict of interest. I would be like, I would like to be let back on Twitter. Thank you very much. Uh, it would help me build my Substack. Um, if it's a if it's a different Twitter than has existed in the past, I think the place has become a sewer, um, surpassed only by Telegram. Uh, but uh, and I don't go on TikTok, so that might be even worse. I don't know. Um, but uh, um, uh, I think uh, I'm I going to withhold judgment. I'm kind of on the fence on that one. Uh, I don't, I think that uh, he, he is a weffer. 
by the way, as are most of the Bitcoin people. Um, you know, they talk the talk of being revolutionaries, but uh, in the end, most of them seem to have been co-opted in my, is my sense. Uh, um, and I, and I, this whole thing has brought me into that world. I've, you know, I've had the chance to hang out with the whales, uh, which I never, you know, I'd never imagined that would be part of my life. Uh, but, and they're not all that way, but a lot of the thought leaders are, are very much aligned with the World Economic Forum and with um, uh, the possibility that they might make oodles of money in converting their cyber decentralized uh, digital currency into uh, um, uh, BIS, uh, um, a central bank digital currency. Uh, so I, I just don't know... Um, Elon and uh, what's the other one um, that his buddy from PayPal days uh, um, that runs Palantir? I'm I'm not not entirely sure about him either. Uh, I I think that uh, folks when they get that wealthy, um, they they live in a different mind space than the likes of you and me, um, and and they seem to. Uh, become disconnected with a lot of the things that we take for granted as fundamental, let's say, here's a word, Judeo-Christian ethics. Um, are, you, are you talking about Peter and, Thiel? Yeah, I am. Sorry, I, it slipped my mind. Right, so the last four, let's do this in 10 seconds if you can. What do you know that most people don't? Oh, not much. Uh, there aren't very many people that can uh, plaster a, uh, um, an old hog barn and turn it into a, uh, a recording studio. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. I think one of my core competencies has been um, kind of understanding in the past how the government really works and, and being able to navigate it and um, help make things happen. Um, Mary Holland, when I first met her, who's the uh, um, chief operating or chief executive officer of Children's Health Defense, um, and uh, spent time as a young person in education, in her education in the Soviet Union, um, when she met me and talked about what I do with the government as, or used to do for my consulting business, she said, there used to be people like that in the Soviet Union as the Soviet Union was kind of coming unglued and the bureaucracy became so unwieldy. There were people like you who were basically fixers, who knew the system well enough that they could work in between the cracks and enable things to get done that otherwise can't get done because of just the burden of the bureaucracy and its inefficiencies. So I'm, I think I'm, I'm knowledgeable about that uh, in ways that there aren't many people. There aren't too many people that understand this spectrum of the discovery science world in biotechnology all the way through licensure. Because there, there's a, a group of separate cultures. Um, and uh, there aren't many that have uh, kind of my bona fides in discovery research 
and then also have been able to operate successfully in advanced development, which is a, the first one is the wild west. Um, you know, cowboys shoot them up, uh, Yahoo. Um, let's see what works as you can see, um, with Ralph Barrick and the Wuhan Institute of Virology is just one example. Um, and uh, then there's the, well, how do you take it through this highly, or what used to be highly structured um, regulatory process, take it through to licensure. I'm, I'm one of those few that kind of gets all of that and gets the government and gets um, uh, small business startups and raising capital. You know, I've done, I've done biotech startups. I've um, spent too much time talking to um, Sand Hill Road investors, uh, et cetera. Um, so I think that's, that's another thing that makes me a little different. And I'm not a bad uh, equestrian, um, uh, but there are many better ones than me. Um, uh, but probably not too many people that can shoe a horse uh, one minute and then talk about, uh, I said shoe, not shoot, um, and then uh, talk high science. What's the best advice you ever remember receiving? When I interviewed um, as an undergraduate with Bob Cardiff for a position in his laboratory, which is a breast cancer, mouse memory tumor virus laboratory, um, I was trying so hard to be humble. Uh, and he looked me straight in the face and said, uh, ice cold, he said, I have no time for false modesty. Um, and that was kind of a, uh, you're no longer in Kansas anymore moment. Uh, and he still accepted me into his laboratory. Uh, but um, it's, it's hard to remember sometimes for those of us that don't want to be seen as egotistical uh, that um, uh, it is right and proper and you do need to own your own core competence um, and not, not try to hide it. Don't, you know, there's this biblical saying, don't hide your light under a bushel basket. I think it's the same thing. What's the worst advice you ever remember receiving? Get an MD. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, I, I mean, neither of my kids uh, have any interest in that. They're both computer scientists. Um, uh, I, I can't, uh, recommend any young people to go into modern medicine. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to say that, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's really, really dysfunctional and, and, uh, um, just, uh, the juice is not worth the squeeze. This show is called disruptors. What does the word disruptive mean to you, Robert? So I'm biased uh, because of all of the um, logic and language around investors and disruptive technology. Um, uh, you know, um, the uh, I'm, I'm profoundly influenced by this book of Thomas Kuhn called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, which is the one that gave us uh, these words like paradigm shift. Um, these phrases. Uh, disruption, 
is an absolute necessity uh, in enabling. I one of my models of the world is that there are a lot of forces that resist disruption, um, and a lot of we could call them conservative forces, not in the political sense. Um, there are a lot of of uh, forces that want things to stay the same, even though systems are not particularly functional in solving problems. And uh, as a consequence, what happens is you build up a larger and larger and larger gap between the unmet need, the opportunity, or however you want to phrase it, and the existing solution space. And uh, as if you, if you create obstacles to disruption and uh, to revolution, to um, abrupt change or whatever, then what happens is the system becomes more and more disassociated um, between the need uh, or the opportunity and the current solution set. And then something will occur, some, some event that will cause it to suddenly um, realign. And we experience that almost like an earthquake or a volcanic explosion or a major disruption in, um, in, in existing processes, economics, whatever. Um, and I think that disruptors are super important to um, alleviate stress, this stress that comes as systems develop dysfunction or uh, misalignment um, over time. And uh, um, so that's, for me, disruption has to do with um, enabling uh, change uh, and um, facilitating change in a, in a, what can be a very constructive way. But if the forces are resisting that, it can be extremely destructive. Where can we follow you, Robert, and um, maybe get some of your research? And where do you want us to join to be able to be in your tribe? <laughs> well, uh, tribe, that's an interesting statement um, and a, an important one. Um, uh, on the topic of tribe, what I've tried to say all the way through the last three years is um, uh, don't take anything that I say as the gospel truth. Um, what I'm trying to do is help people to access information, um, understand things that are otherwise uh, confusing to them, and help them make their own uh, decisions, interpret the information themselves. I think that is the best way to uh, um, uh, armor ourselves against uh, these uh, psychological and, and thought manipulation tactics that have been deployed on us. This is the best armor for all of us in the information war era is uh, to learn to think for yourself, learn what the logical fallacies are. Uh, and by the way, there's a great website called Your Logical Fallacy Is. It's not mine, but I recommend it. Uh, in terms of me, uh, the book, The Lies My Government Told Me and The Better Times Ahead uh, should be coming out soon. It's in absolute last stage uh, editing. Matter of fact, I should be working on that right now. Um, and uh, our Substack, we treat as a business. It's, it's um, how I sustain myself now. 
And uh, so we, we respect our customers, as I always did as a consultant, and um, very much value them. And we, we put out product daily. Uh, uh, the, the, the term is used, content. We're, we're generating a lot of content, I'm told. Um, so that's rwmalonemd.substack.com. And those are the deeper thought pieces. And then uh, the daily chitter chatter, since I'm uh, summarily uh, ejected from uh, Twitter and LinkedIn without appeal and without warning, uh, you can find me on Getter at RWMaloneMD, Gab, and Truth Social. Um, the uh, Telegram channels are that purport to be me are not me. So don't blame me for anything that goes on there. I want to say thank you very much for giving your time today, Robert. Um, it's been fascinating to listen to you and um, look forward to continuing to hear more about your work. Thank you, sir. And thanks for the opportunity to speak to you and to your, uh, to your viewership. Take care, Robert. Thank you. Thank you.